Um, we're in week three of our series, No Nonsense Christianity. It's our third week of 15, um, and it's based on the book of James, um, which is near the back of your Bible. I'll just get this Bible. Um, so if you want to turn to James, that'd be great. And the first week we talked a bit about James being the brother of Jesus, a uh, prominent leader in the early church, and his desire to see Christians grow and mature spiritually. Um, and then last week we looked a little bit at James's target audience. We looked at the folk that James was writing to, those early Christians, those first believers um, from the book of Acts who, who, who came to faith and came to know Jesus. And then we read that as time progressed, persecution started and they were scattered. They were sent out from Jerusalem. Um, and we, we talked about how James is writing to these people and the trials and the issues that they were facing was a key issue for James. Uh, and we know it was a key issue because he starts his letter by saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and we need to let perseverance finish its work so we may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And last week we looked about how we can go about considering the hardships that we face and the difficulties that we face in this life. Joy. How we can rejoice in them. And, um, you know, after speaking last week on facing trials of many kinds and the service itself being fairly trying, um, I, I've been suffering this week with the worst of all afflictions, the dreaded man flu, which we know is... Well, I mean, there's nothing like it. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate that. Um, and as such, I wasn't able to do my normal uh, Thursday evening life group, which was a shame. I, I really missed them. But I did meet with, with Steve's life group in, in his absence this week. And um, it was just really good to talk about um, how the times of testing and trial in our life um, can be used by God. And there were some wonderful examples that came out of that group. Um, we talked about how um, suddenly we were able to have conversations with people where we couldn't talk to them before. Like we had an authority because we've been there. You know, we were given that through, through a time of testing. Um, and, and someone spoke about how they'd been so reliant in their life on, the, on this job and they had all their security wrapped up in their work life and then that was taken away from them. But that suddenly led to all these other doors being opened. And we also spoke about um, how just, you know, a hard time had led to just a closeness with God that they'd never experienced before. And it was really good to see the words of James sort of coming alive uh, in your lives and in your history. And that's the kind of book James is. It's not some sort of weird, out there, spiritual mumbo-jumbo, but it's very practical and it's very to the point. So it was good just to hear those stories during the week. Um, so this morning we're going to look at verses 5 to six, five to 8. We'll try and do more than one verse, shall we? Um, and we did touch on this briefly last week, but I feel there's a bit more that we can kind of glean from this, and a bit more we can take from it. Um, so if you haven't got your Bibles open, then, then please do so. Uh, and I'm going to read from verse 5. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Okay, 
So there's three things this morning that I want to take from this passage. We're going to have a, a classic three-point sermon, all right? So if you're taking notes, point one is that we need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says. And he's just finished saying here, hasn't he, that we need to let perseverance finish its work so we can be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And then he says, but if you are lacking in something, then, then it's probably wisdom. I wonder how many of us here this morning would describe ourselves as wise. I won't ask for a show of hands. But I, I mean, I know for myself it's certainly not a characteristic, I would say, that I have one of wisdom particularly. In fact, often I would describe my actions as, as the opposite. I would say that I'm quite unwise. The other week I, I came home from, from work and um, my beautiful wife was sitting on the sofa with my children and uh, my opening remarks to her was, have you had a chance to tidy up yet? <laughs> not how was your day? Not nice to see you? Would you like a drink? You know, after nine years of marriage, you'd think I'd know better, wouldn't you? But, um, I mean, I paid, don't worry. I paid. <laughs> Good. But the wisdom that James is referring to here is not, not wisdom on how to speak to our partners. I'd imagine that's a much longer book. Um, <coughs> but it, it's wisdom on how to deal with the trials of life. And you see... In James's eyes, that verses 5 to 8 that we've just read this morning allows us to achieve verse 2. You remember last week, verse 2, we talked about, um, you know, James says that we have to consider the trials of life joy. Well, I mean, yeah, come on, James, get with it. That's, that's an impossibility. But James is saying, well, yes, it is an impossibility, and that's why we need God's wisdom. In this instant, wisdom is to do with the trials that we face what exactly is wisdom? What are we talking about? Well, wisdom is the ability to think and act using knowledge, experience, understanding and insight. Theoretically speaking, the older we get, the wiser we should become. Theoretically speaking. However, we're always going to come upon circumstances that are outside of our experience, that are outside of our knowledge or our understanding. There's going to be times when we say, why? I just don't get it, God. I don't understand. And James is saying, in these instances, we need to ask God for his wisdom. Christian writer Charles Swindle states that James is referring to the ability to view a test from God's perspective. He says, without this kind of wisdom, the ability to endure becomes elusive and the goal of maturity is never reached. So in order to consider the trials of life joy, we need to be able to consider them from his perspective perspective with his wisdom. Just a quick point of clarification, if I, I could at this point, because we talk about wisdom being knowledge and understanding, and we talk about asking God for wisdom, but just because we ask God for wisdom doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to explain everything to us. It doesn't necessarily mean even that he's going to answer all of our questions. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, during our series on suffering, Steve spoke to us a little bit out of the book of Job. Um, which is in the Old Testament. I know, unusual to speak from the Old Testament for yourself, Steve, but that's where we were. And in Job, you know, he, he, he faces all of these trials, all of these horrible 
things that he goes through in his life and he, and he asks God, why? why is this happening to me? And in fact, he even talks about wisdom. He says that where does wisdom come from? Well, only you have wisdom, God. So give me wisdom, help me understand. And God gives him wisdom, but he doesn't answer his questions. He doesn't specifically answer any of his questions. He never tells him the reason behind the suffering. He never tells him the why, but he, he does ask him to trust him. No point does God feel obligated to provide that explanation. And it's the same for us. We might not necessarily have the answers to the difficult times that we face. But God does want us to trust on him and lean on his wisdom and his understanding. The theologian John Stott puts it this way. The wise person will be able to see life as James has pictured it in verses 2 through 4. That's the considering it joy. Able to make personal decisions shape life's pathway so as to enjoy the progress towards maturity which he has promised. Such wisdom is a gift from God. You know, most wisdom is gained through experience and knowledge and understanding, but this is a supernatural gift from God. This is one of the ways that God wants to help us through the tough times in life. So we need wisdom. We need wisdom when things are tough. That's the first point. Second point, we get God's wisdom by asking for it. Duh. <laughs> Seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I mean, why are you telling us this, James? You know, he says if you need wisdom, you should ask God for it. Or maybe, maybe it's because we, we don't. <laughs> maybe it's because we don't ask for it. You know, what do we normally pray when, when times are tough, when things are difficult? We say, you know, God, get me out of the situation. Make it stop. Let it end. Let it be over. We don't normally pray for wisdom. I know I don't normally pray for wisdom. There's many times when I do pray for wisdom. When I'm preparing these sermons, I pray for wisdom, believe it or not. Um, when I'm meeting with someone, I pray for wisdom. When my two-year-old is awake at two in the morning and I've run out of patience, I pray for wisdom. But when times are tough, I don't always pray for wisdom. Maybe, maybe it's the pride thing. Maybe it's that we feel that we are better dealing with things ourselves. Maybe we feel we can sort of handle it on our own terms. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says that when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. You see, pride is the enemy of wisdom. We can't learn anything if we think we know it all already. Believe it or not. So the first step is realising that we need this wisdom and then the second step is to ask. And I did, a, I did a concordance search on the word ask in the New Testament. So a concordance, you can look up any word in the Bible and it tells you all the places it's written down. And I was curious as to, to how often ask occurs in the New Testament. Uh, and the answer is a lot. It's in there a heck of a lot. Um, 1 John 5 says, We know that he hears us whenever we ask. Colossians 1 says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I like that one. Matthew 21 says, Whenever you, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. A little bit later on, James says that you do not have because you do not ask God. Do you get the impression that perhaps sometimes God just really wants us to ask him for things? There's a, a, a passage that I, I really love in Matthew 7. Um, I did do a slide. Good. And it says this, it says, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If then you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And I totally get that. As a father, I totally understand that because I love giving my kids gifts. I love seeing them happy and, and, and joyous. And speaking of your son asking for bread, um, the other day Elijah asked me for some bread. Um, I picked him up um, from nursery early and he, he was asleep. Uh, so they sent me home with his lunch and they, they provided for him um, some fish fingers and some bread. A very biblical meal and two fish and some loaves. Well done, Manor House Day Nursery. And um, he'd had this food on the way back in the car and he'd eaten the fish fingers and I'd assumed he'd finished. Um, but of course, as soon as I threw it in the bin, he, uh, he said, Daddy, where's my bread? I want my bread. And uh, there was none in the house. I looked everywhere. No bread. And I thought, what can I do? How can I pacify him? And I found in the fridge a Kit Kat. Okay? <laughs> Never have you seen a happier child who thought he was going to get bread and instead gets a Kit Kat. (laughs) This was one happy boy. But Jesus is saying that if we know how to give Kit Kats to our kids, how much more will God give good gifts to us? He wants us to ask. He wants us to acknowledge our need for him. Not so that he somehow feels vindicated in his superiority or the fact that we need him. I, I tell you, I promise you that God is very secure in who he is. He doesn't have an issue with that, but because he has a father heart and he loves to give and he loves to give us the things that we need and he wants to. It brings him joy and happiness. Just like I brought Elijah joy and happiness through the Kit Kat. (laughs) If God came to you one day and said, you can have one wish, you can have anything you want, what would you ask for? (laughs) It's actually happened, in, if you read in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Chronicles. See, now I'm in the Old Testament, Steve. Look what you've started. You go away for two weeks. Um, to, to a guy called Solomon. Solomon was the, was the king of Israel. And it says in 2 Chronicles 1, um, that a knight God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. That's a pretty, that's a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? wonder what you'd ask for. And Solomon answered God and he said, You've shown great kindness to David, my father, and you've made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you've made me king over a people who are numerous as the dust of the earth. You you sense the fear in that response. (laughs) What have you done? Where have you put me? He says, You may be king over people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge to lead the people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. There's sort of an element, isn't there? I, don't, I really don't know what I'm doing here, God, so what I need to get me through the situation is wisdom. And God is so impressed with his answer that he gives him wisdom, and he says, I'm not only going to give you wisdom and knowledge to rule, but I'll give you everything else as well. Wealth and possessions and a long life. But wisdom is the goal. It's how important it is. James you know, goes on, he says that God gives generously to all without finding fault. 
And perhaps sometimes we don't ask for wisdom from God because we're concerned about the response. We think that maybe he isn't going to give us what we need. It's sort of like when, um, your, sort of like when your daughter won't go to sleep because she says she's too hungry, even though you gave her food an hour ago and she left most of it on the plate. And so you say, well, if you'd just eaten your dinner an hour ago, you wouldn't be hungry now, would you? James says God isn't like that. He said he wants to give us wisdom when we need it most without finding fault, regardless of our interest in God up to that point, regardless of our commitment to him up to that point. It doesn't matter if we've ignored God for the entirety of our lives. If we are asking God for wisdom, then he wants to give it to us. John Blanchard uh, writes, In context, the meaning is that God does not give according to our worthiness or gratitude. (laughs) Thank goodness, right? Nor does he withhold from blessing us because we ask too much or too often, or maybe too little. His his giving is governed by his nature and not ours. So just like God gave wisdom to Solomon, he wants to give wisdom to us as well. So, we need God's wisdom in the trials of life. We need to realise our need for it and we need to ask for it. And when we ask for it, we need to be not fearful of his response because he loves us and he wants to give it to us. My third point this morning is that when we ask God to give us wisdom... We must do so in the full faith that he loves us and that he wants, he will keep his promises. That he's going to do what he said he's going to do. We need to have confidence in the way that we ask him. Let's just look again at verse 6. James says, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. We need to believe and not doubt. What's he saying here? Is he saying that if we, we ask for wisdom and then just this smidgen of doubt creeps in, then boom, over. No wisdom for you. I'm taking it away. Is that what he's saying? Well, I don't think he is. I mean, that doesn't seem to fit with what else is in the Bible. I mean, think of um, Abraham, for example. You know, Abraham was somebody, again, Old Testament, sorry, but someone that was described as the father of the faithful. He was described as a faithful man, and yet he himself wasn't always faithful to God. At that time, he pretended his sister, his wife was his sister to get into Egypt. You know, he didn't trust God in that situation. And there's a, there's a, a chap in, in, in Mark 9 who comes to Jesus for help with his son and his son's having these, these uh, they're like epileptic fits and he's, he's demon-possessed and he, he says to Jesus, I need your help with him. Uh, and Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And the man says, I do, I do believe, but just help me with my unbelief. I, I do believe, but I, I, I want to believe more. I need, you, I need your help with that. And Jesus honours him and he, he heals the boy. So James isn't saying that if we have doubts that God isn't going to help us. That's not what's being said here. He's not demanding a perfect faith. I don't think any of us have a perfect faith. But I think he's talking about our expectation of God. What are we expecting from him? Do we really expect to receive something from God? Or do we kind of just ask and then think, well, that's not going to happen. You know, I prayed for that, but I knew it it wouldn't happen. 
Or do we really believe that God wants to give us the things that he says he's going to give us? It has to do with our understanding of God's character. He's saying that when we doubt, there's like this sort of instability that comes when we don't trust God. And he describes that person as double-minded. I think so the, 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 the better translation is sort of double-souled. It's like divided loyalties, divided priorities. Either we trust God to give us what we need to see us through, or we don't. <laughs> Either we believe he's going to do it, or we don't. But James goes even further. He, he says that the people that can't make up their mind, um, it produces an unstable lifestyle. He says that he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I mean, what might that look like? You know, someone who's emotionally stable, that, that panics and threats over the smallest decisions, or did I do the right thing, or I'm not sure, or I can't make up my mind, and, and you, you stay up late at night thinking over things, and it produces unstable relationships, people that can't commit and aren't sure if they should stay in a relationship or get out of it, or thinking that they should keep their options open, or people that are unstable in their work life, and they can't settle on one career or one thing. He's saying that if we are indecisive, it produces this unstableness in all areas of our life, but the worst area for us is our spiritual life. He says that a man like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In Matthew 6, Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he talks about money. He says you cannot serve God and money. It's interesting, actually. I wonder if James was recalling these words of Jesus, because the next verses that we're going to read about are to do with money. (laughs) and It all kind of fits together quite nicely. But either we're trusting in God to get us through, or we're trusting in something else. So a person who doubts God's goodness dishonours him, since he's unsure whether God is good or will do good. Do we really believe, and this is, I think this is the key question for us this morning, do we really believe that God loves us and is committed to us and that he will stand by his promises? Well, how do we know? I mean, this morning's been a brilliant example for us because I think that the gospel is the ultimate reminder for us that God is committed to our good and that he fulfills our promises. And this was, this was Paul's perspective. In his letter to the Romans, uh, in chapter 8, he writes this. He says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And this is, this is the point. He says, He did not spare his own son, but gave it him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And Paul's logic is that if God gave up his son for you, <laughs> then you can trust that he's got your best interest in heart. You should have no reason to doubt. We can trust that he is committed to our good because he's demonstrated it through the cross. So there we go. There's three points for us. The first is that we need God's wisdom. If we are going to consider the trials that we face pure joy, if that's going to be reality in our life, if that's going to develop, as we said last week, rather than destroy us, then we need to be reliant on him. We need to learn to trust him and we need to go after God's perspective and God's understanding on our circumstances. The second thing is that we need to ask for it. We need to realise we need it and then we need to ask God for it. God loves it when we ask him for things, when he can provide things to us as our Father. 
And the third point is that when we ask God to give us wisdom, we need to do so in the full faith that God keeps his promises that he's committed to our good. And even if the situation we're in seems bleak, even if we're thinking there's no way out of this, this is clearly God abandoning me and leaving me to the wolves. He's done with me. I can't understand how in any way this would be a good thing for me. We need to come back to the fact that God sent his son to die for us, to bring us into relationship with him. He is committed to our good. And we need to remember that when we ask him for his wisdom because we need to know that he wants to give it to us. Now, I realise I haven't sort of given a lot of application this morning and it's a tricky one to sort of give application to because the wisdom that, that, that you, you need for your circumstances may be very different to somebody else. Um, but I just want to finish with a couple of... Um, and we're going to come back to this a little bit later on in the series, but just a couple of worldly wisdoms that perhaps we've been reliant on in the past that actually aren't very good for us. The first one says that I am in charge of my own universe. I make my own happiness. The things that happen to me happen to me because I, I go after them and I want good things. It's a bit like karma, isn't it? You know, If I do good things, good things happen to me. If I do bad things, bad things happen to me. The trouble is, when bad things happen to you, it's your fault. <laughs> Second worldly wisdom is that it says that all my happiness and all my enjoyment in life is wrapped up in the here and now. This is all we get. This is our life. I think I mentioned on the, on the first week, you know, that post on Facebook I saw that said, uh, life is short. Do whatever makes you happy. This is it. This is all you've got. So you may as well be happy now. And the trouble is, when bad things happen, it's devastating because this is all we've got. There's nothing else. And the sort of third piece of worldly wisdom that, that we often hear is that we deserve better than the life we have. We deserve to have it all. We deserve to have money and wealth and everything that we can get in this life. And then when trouble comes, we can't cope because we're being wronged. <laughs> but godly wisdom says that trials come on the good and the bad. But God can use those trials for our benefit and for his glory. Not that we deserve anything from God. None of us do, but that he graciously gives us what we need because he loves us. And that he is continually maturing us and working on us into the day that we get to go and be with him. So I just, if this morning you found that perhaps some of those worldly wisdoms aren't working for you anymore, and I would just encourage you to come to God and ask him for his wisdom to see you through the trials of life. Not to say that things are going to get easier or better, or, you know, but that he will see you through because he loves you and he wants to give you that support.